Welcome to Her Story, a retelling of the biblical narratives featuring women in scripture with Joanne Guarnieri Hagemeyer, Grace and Peace Joanne. Sometimes when I'm reading a book, I go to the end to find out how it all turns out. And that's what I think we do with Lot's wife. We just remember the last few moments of her life. But who was she? Why did Lot marry her? And what must have been going through her mind that fateful night the angels came? Presenting the story of the wife of Lot in the time of the matriarchs. Each story in this series was originally produced as a YouTube presentation, so links to YouTube, to Grace and Peace Joanne blog posts, and to the books I've written are all provided below. The story of Lot's wife is famous. Retold countless times, important life lessons are drawn from the tragedies that she experienced and the fateful decision she made in the last hour of her life. And even though we never learn her name, we only have a glimpse of who she was, there is still so much we can find out. We begin by watching two wealthy men, one elderly, one young and virile, looking out over the cities of the plain, located near what is today the Dead Sea in southernmost Israel. During the Middle Bronze Age, the approximate time Abraham would have arrived with all his flocks and herds and hundreds of servants and warriors and his extended family, this was a fertile valley with fresh running rivers and springs, robust agriculture, rich forests, aromatic air from balsam wood, and it's a beautiful place. So as we watch behind them is arid high country, scrub brush, rocky foothills, but below them is the lush valley of Siddim, or salt, verdant pasture lands, prosperous settlements. And the elder speaks, you choose, for the Lord has given it all. The younger man purses his lips, weighing his options. Surely his uncle realizes what he's offering. Lot's eyes finally rest on Sodom, the jewel of the plain, its magnificent walls with their generous and well-fortified gates. And within it is a well-planned lattice of streets, fine homes, a palace and temple complex, rivaling all the other cities, including Gomorrah. He slowly nods his head, realizing in his heart he has made a decision. Arrayed around them, the shepherds and the herdsmen of both men wait with anticipation and Lot raises his arm and he points towards the sea with its cities and he gives a short nod in Sodom's direction. I choose the plain, uncle. And the elder Abraham agrees, watching with regret and sorrow, the son of his dead brother depart. He turns back, his shoulders sagging a little. May God watch over that young one, he prays. Now Lot's wife was born into a wealthy city, and considering who she married, she was most likely the beautiful daughter of an affluent and well-connected family, since Lot, a prosperous newcomer, would certainly have intended to marry in his own economic tier, or even up. This meant she would have had the best education a woman might be given, and was well-trained in managing a large household. Though no sons are mentioned, she did have two surviving adult daughters who were close in age and both betrothed, which was a further sign of her well-connected and respected extended family. 
Lot had also developed a reputation for himself. As an elder and city official, he adjudicated cases every day at the city gate, which today might be seen as a kind of civil court. And Lot's wife would have benefited from being married to one of the city's elders, for her own influence would have been sought out. But amid all that wealth and comfort was corruption. Scriptural references to the cities of the plain point out sexual perversion, denial of basic human rights, and a rapacious appetite for deviance. From the prophet Moses, he spoke of poison, bitterness, the poison of serpents, the cruel venom of asps. From the prophet Jeremiah, they commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from wickedness. From the prophet Ezekiel, pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. They did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty. They did abominable things before God. From Jude, they indulged in sexual immorality, and they pursued unnatural lusts. Now listen, all of us are shaped by the culture we grow up in. There were surely many good qualities in Lot's wife, good character traits, talents, and abilities. However, her value system and spirituality had been formed in a degenerate atmosphere. Marrying Lot was actually God's first particular act of grace to her, opening a way for her to learn and adopt a new frame of reference, to hear of the God of Abraham, to ally herself with the people of God. Next, we read in Genesis 14, a second act of grace. God allowed the sacking of Sodom and the capture of its families. Now, just as 911 shocked all of us to the core and the damage to the Pentagon showed us just how vulnerable we really are, so Sodom and the cities of the plain were shown how vulnerable they really were. What was in store for Lot's wife and her husband and family could have included forced slavery, probably would have, rape, possibly even death. As it was, they were already traumatized by the brutality and violation they had already experienced. And then in a miraculous rescue, Abraham and his few hundred fighting men, and by the way, the infinite and eternal, mighty, wonder-working power of Almighty God, Abraham, against all odds, overcame the heretofore invincible armies that had conquered and plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and their satellite cities, and were even now marching the citizens into exile. A shaken woman, shaken awake by the unthinkable becoming reality, and by the overwhelming power and grace of God through Abraham, she had a chance to reorient her life towards God, the God of her husband. Then came God's third act of grace, speaking through Melchizedek and Abraham in the ceremony that followed. You see, the entire city had been arrayed around these two pillars of faith. It would have, could have, been a Pentecost moment when the people of the city realized their great need for God. King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He blessed God and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham told the king of Sodom, as he refused even one coin for his heroic act of rescue, I have sworn to the Lord God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread 
or a sandal thong or anything that is yours so that you might not say, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the young men who went with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their share. These were powerful words of integrity and generosity and faithfulness to Almighty God, the very character trait so palpably missing in the cities of the plain. Remember that the wife of Lot heard all these things and experienced all these things. Then came God's fourth act of grace, when God stood with Abraham the night before God intended to bring down judgment on the cities of the plain. They had ignored God's warning through the invading armies, and their sins had reached their fullness. And in that conversation with Abraham, and through Abraham's guided intercession, God would spare Lot and his family, the only righteous ones in the entire valley of Siddim. God's fifth act of grace came that same night. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Sitting in the gateway did not mean that Lot was simply sitting on a park bench, people watching. This was a technical phrase referring to his seat on Sodom City Council, possibly even as chief magistrate. How the Apostle Peter described Lot thousands of years later gives some insight about what he must have been doing day after day. God rescued Lot, a righteous man, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the lawlessness. For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So after adjudicating case after case of licentiousness and lawlessness, Lot noticed God's messengers immediately and made sure he was the first to greet them. Very like Abraham's response that morning, he bowed to the ground and insisted on washing their feet, sharing a meal with them, keeping them in his home for that night. Lot had an idea of what might happen to these two handsome strangers if they stayed out in the open once the sun went down. But just as they were about to retire for the night, Lot's worst fears were realized. Every single man in Sodom had surrounded his house, demanding to rape God's messengers. Lot went out of the door to the men, shut the door after him, and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Look, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. What do we do? in moments of crisis. It reveals a lot about who we truly are and what we truly believe. Lot intended to protect God's messengers above his own daughters. His disregard of their personhood, the revelation of where his priorities truly lay, sent a message they would not forget. Later, both sisters would enter intentionally into debasement with their father because he had first taught them the devaluation of sex and the devaluation of who they were to him. Whether you're a mother or a daughter or both, this scene is shocking and horrifying. The complete objectification of women, the complete disregard for the preciousness and value of women, let alone one's own flesh and blood. This was extreme degradation. 
Yet we have to ask ourselves, what was Lot's wife thinking in those moments? Was she paralyzed with fear? Was she shocked? Was she relieved? Was she angry that Lot had put them all in peril by taking these two strangers into their home? Did she agree with Lot in sacrificing their daughters? Did she think she might be next? Did this seem normal to her? The way things are, the way things worked? Did she accept powerlessness? Did she accept being devalued? Or was she seeing her city at its very worst and her husband at his very worst, the true ugliness and horror of wickedness? The men's reaction to Lot says a lot too. They replied, stand back. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien and he would play the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed harder against the man Lot and they came near the door to break it down. And now came God's sixth act of grace through the angel's intervention in supernatural power, but also in warning. They yanked Lot back inside and then struck the men with blindness. But then they asked, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. A careful reading of the passage reveals that Lot's two sons-in-law-to-be were just outside his door, would-be rapists, now blinded. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Now all throughout, Lot's wife and her daughters remained completely silent and immobile. But even more incomprehensible is that Lot and his wife allowed the whole night to pass as they deliberated on the angel's warning. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or else you will be consumed in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. One might add she lingered too. There is no record of her urging her husband to heed the words of God through the angels, no pleading to save her and their daughters, no movement to pack the most precious of their belongings before they were destroyed. It was so hard to let go. They were going to lose everything. And then came God's seventh act of grace, saving this seemingly helpless family. The men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. And when they had brought them outside, they said, Flee to your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the hills or else you will be consumed. Their faith was so weak, God did all the rest for them. Even then, Lot, presumably his wife, asked the angels for a closer destination. They'd waited so long, they feared they would not escape God's judgment. And the angels gave them even that, an eighth act of grace that spared an entire town of the fiery judgment so that Lot and his family might shelter there. What happened next must have transfixed Lot and his daughters. 
Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife was behind him. That's the first thing I see here. Lot running for his life and leaving his wife and daughters to run on their own. And, all alone, she looked back. Lot was no stranger to leaving all behind. He'd done it twice. First when he left Ur, and then when he left Abraham. And Lot's daughters were of an age where the future could still hold some promise. But Lot's wife was leaving what had always been her life. It seems her past was more relevant to her than her future. And I think she was not willing or maybe not even able to consider starting a new life. She did not want to let go of all that she had in order to embrace what she could not understand. She couldn't face a future that did not include what she had grown up to love. Looking back was her reluctance to let go. You know, you and I who have put our faith in Jesus have hope for the future, no matter what age we are. And that hope pulls us forward. But instead of being filled with belief and hope in God's mercy, Lot's wife was filled with sorrow and regret and mourning over loss, longing for the city God had judged. I wonder if she understood, or Lot or anyone really, how one small act could have such devastating consequences. And often when people read the story, that's where their thoughts take them. How could God be so unfair, so arbitrary, over this small and understandable act of fear and grief. Why would she be swept up in the judgment of the cities of the plain after all that? To answer, we have to go back to what we know of God's character and attributes. God is just, so God's judgments are just. God gives what is deserved. We have to trust God with that. God writes what has been made wrong when he judges. A great cry had gone up to God concerning the desperately wicked conditions of the cities of the plain. All those invested in that wickedness were under God's judgment. Now sin had reached its fullness. Judgment had to come. Redemption from that fate could come only through obedient faith to God's word. No turning back. Thousands of years later, Jesus' brother James would write, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God's wrath has a cleansing, purifying aspect to it. To cleanse the universe of the corruption of sin, just as was happening before Lot's and Abraham's eyes, because Abraham was also watching all this from his mountain site. Lot's wife became a searing emblem of what it means to cling to the old life, the life without God. And God's judgment shows that who we are and what we do matters. If God did not judge sin, it would mean that God was indifferent to the existence of right and wrong and good and evil. But God is not indifferent. God's wrath and grief and intense pain over sin is the necessary and only right response. Even Lot held that within him for all his faults and moral turpitude. God's final judgment is permanent 
and universal. Again, Lot's wife became the depiction of that finality. The horror of her end was a warning to Lot and his daughters. And sadly, they did not seem to understand its implications. And God's mercy is always available to overcome justice. This is perhaps the greatest lesson of all. Again, James would later write, mercy triumphs over judgment. What we do reveals who we are and what we truly believe. Lot's wife, trailing behind her husband, did not see herself aligned with him and with his people, with Abraham and the God of Lot and Abraham. The pull of her city, her culture, as wicked as it had all been exposed to be, was stronger. And in that last moment of her life, she allowed this old allegiance to overcome the rescue God held out to her. And what about Abraham and Lot? Both of them had thought nothing of throwing the women in their care to the wolves to save their own skin. But yet they're remembered as righteous. How in the world could that be? Only one explanation. They put their faith in God. And God counted it. So what pulls you backward? And what pulls you forward? Which seems stronger? What does what you say and do reveal about who you truly are and what you truly believe? And how can God's mercy triumph in your life? Oh God, may it be that as we look to you and to the rescue you hold out, we don't think about the wickedness and unrighteousness behind us, but we only think about what you are holding out for us. And would you give us the strength to consistently reach out and grab hold of what you have for us to the praise of your grace. She famously duped her husband into giving her favorite son pretty much everything towards the end of his life. That's what most sermons are about, concentrating on her. But Rebecca's story also involves romance, high adventure, and a prophetic oracle. Let's talk about it in the upcoming podcast from the time of the matriarchs, Rebecca's Story.